Welcome back, everyone. In this episode, I have Sasha Anise on the show. Sasha's had such a cool history in automotive, in motorsports, in the analytics and tuning of race cars and road cars. And now it's no exaggeration to say he's breaking ground in the electric sports car world. Sasha and I start where we always do, at the beginning, where it all started and what it was that got Sasha into automotive in the first place. From there, we dig into Sasha's mainstay business, On Point Dino. That's his mobile dyno tuning business, which has thrived since he started it. But then we get into one of his project cars. It's named Blue Lightning. It's been named as a bit of a throwback to his imaginative childhood. This piece of engineering wizardry is based on a Lotus Evora and is completely powered by a Tesla electric motor. I'd read about it a bit and watched a bit about the car, but until Sasha started getting into it during the episode, I never really knew just how special this project has been for him and for what I expect will be many others out there, especially for those building for the inevitable electrified future, and especially for those interested in a maniacal sports car pedigree. This was all in the back half of the episode and it was blowing me away time and time again, and I really hope that it proves to be equally as interesting and inspiring to all of you listening. Also, you really want to stick around for the tail end of the episode for some news Sasha shares about an exciting new business venture he's launching in 2018. It's called Mountain Pass Performance. I have a feeling we'll be seeing a lot of it in this and in the coming years. This is episode 39 with Sasha Anise. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. Nice. <laughs> um, all right. So I'll get my mic back here in front of me. All right, everyone. Well, welcome back to the show. Um, tonight, I have the pleasure of welcoming Sasha Anise from On Point Dino here with me. Sasha's the owner and founder of On Point Dino. He's an extremely accomplished race driver, tuner, and builder of some of the some seriously insane cars that he's had for he and his clients. So it's taken us a few months to get this coordinated and together, and I'm really happy that we're, uh, we're both in good health and finally able to do it. So Sasha, thank you so much for coming here tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to... Uh... Have a chat about our passion. Yeah, man. Well, this is it. It's all about. So thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's always tough to line these up. And I mean, I think it took us like four months or something to finally do this. And I was in questionable health. And <laughs> yeah, I got a little bit a sick there times. for a while too. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've heard your name for one hell of a, a long time here in uh, in I mean in Toronto. I think in Canada, it's it's the same story. Um, and I first remember seeing your S14 at a lapping day at Mosport many years ago. We talked about it before we started the show. It might be as much as 10 years ago. And I swear I remember um, a Ricky Bobby quote decaled on the back of your car. So that was you, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that car had the rotation of stickers on the back bumper of, you know, classic movie quotes throughout the whole time I ran it. No kidding. Really? Yeah, it would change every couple of races. I'd have something new on there. Uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. I can't remember what the, as I think I want to go fast. I want to go fast. I yeah. want to go fast. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> so, um, okay. And also, uh, 
before we go into um, your business with On Point, I I knew that I had heard your name before that in the tuning world. Uh, and you'd mentioned um, kind of the company you were with or the company you'd started before that? Yeah, it was called SG Motorsport. Oh, cool. Okay. And you'd been doing that for, I mean, we'll get into On Point, but I mean, how long had you been doing that before you moved? Yeah, that was a hole in the wall shop that I got. I dropped out of college and you know, rented this tiny space when I was 18, I think. Oh, no kidding. And I want to say I closed up shop in 2012. So okay. whenever I was about 23 or something like that. Right. Okay. Um, and and just for, for anyone listening that's not here in Toronto, I mean, whereabouts were you, are you located? Yep. So uh, SG Motorsport was in Brampton mm-hmm. and now we're a mobile service. So we operate all out of Toronto. Amazing. Okay. Okay. So... Um, I always like to get started where it all started, which is um, the passion and love for cars. So in the beginning, the first question is, um, what was it that got you into cars? So what inspired you or hooked you? Uh, well, th- I guess the really the very beginning would be I was obsessed with fighter planes. Like I was sure that I was going to be a fighter pilot from the age of like six. Oh, awesome. Yeah. You know, I had the whole encyclopedia of all the aircraft memorized and I had all the flight simulators that I would play and stuff like this. So I... I was pretty pumped on that. <clears throat> I don't know. And then it turned into cars somewhere along the way. You know, it's more attainable, I guess. And uh, got my first car. Actually, it was my mom. She bought a Lexus GS300. Oh, nice. Yeah, 98. So these are the cars that you see all the kids buying now for oh, whatever. Totally. Yeah. And turning into drift cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I was considering buying one and just cleaning it up. But now I see all these kids ruining them. I don't even want one anymore because they're yeah, bastardized. Well, they're hard to find now too. <laughs> uh, that so that car we put some coilovers on it and exhaust, and that's yeah. My mom was driving around with this like slammed, super loud GS three hundred, you know, two <laughs> J in it. She had no idea how cool this car was. She was that's driving. amazing. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so does is that then the answer to the next question, which is the first car you owned? No, uh, that wasn't my car. I mean, I okay, I uh, modified it. Uh, and I went through a lot of rear tires on it. But my first car was uh, an S13. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I, I had, what did I do? My mom went out one day and I think I had like 600 bucks. I can't remember. It was like under $1,000. We found it. I don't remember where. Um, some some used car place, you know, smelled okay. horrible, had a blown head gasket. Like, yeah. Whatever. Me and my friend drove it home. That was it. And then we put an SR20 in it. So uh. I was... <laughs> 16 i think or so not an awful car to have when you're 16 oh yeah it was bad man i remember tank slapping and flying off the road with that thing and (laughs) making all the young kid mistakes you know yeah totally i didn't have i had an s13 when i was in college and i think uh at the time i probably would have been 19 maybe 20 and oh my, like the tank slapping and those things, man. Was, yeah, that was sketchy. That was super crazy, <laughs> especially in the winter time when you're really swinging it around. Um, I never got, um, I never got as far as putting an SR20 in mine. Um, but I mean, I won't go into the details because everybody's heard me talk about it a million times <laughs> on this show. But um, yeah, I kept a kept that KA in there and um, and sold it. And someone, unfortunately, shortly after I had restored just about everything on that car. Uh, I'd sold it and the the kid had done the swap and then wrapped the car around a telephone pole. Like classic. Yeah, 240s like to uh, find their way to telephone poles. Yeah, it's like magnetic to a a telephone pole. (laughs) Um, Okay, so first time you started tinkering with a car, I mean, it sounds like it was that GS. 
Oh man. Yeah. It probably would have been that GS. I mean, I've got one memory of being like 15 years old and this old guy coming to my parents' house because he wanted me to install an intake form on his, on his GS 400. So he no came kidding. to my house and I was like 15 years old. <laughs> this guy's got like this new, like $60,000 car. And I'm like, just sure, man, I'll that's, install your intake. That's crazy. Is that because you were known around the neighborhood as being the, the kid who knew I, how to tune cars? I've made so many posts on that club Lexus forum. You know, I was obsessed. Right. Uh, okay. Gotcha. So yeah, they knew you through the, uh, through the community. <laughs> Um, okay, this is my one of my favorite questions. What was the cool car everyone had to have when you were in high school? And wait, sorry, did you go to high school in Toronto? Yep. Cool. Yeah, I, I was lucky. I was the guy, I guess, that had the cool car because everyone wanted a 240. And oh, man. I was out sliding around in a 240. Yeah. Was Okay, so if you uh, was the second coolest car, if, if you didn't have a 240, what was it? I mean, the ultimate car would be a Supra. I mean, uh, no one could afford a Mark IV Supra, but I think... I think that would be the car that all of us would kind of say was the nice oh yeah. man yeah I god the kids that I went to high school with didn't even I don't even think most of them knew what a Supra was <laughs> <laughs> well I mean we had our group of friends that all obsessed over Japanese cars I'm sure if you ask some other guys let's say Corvette or something yeah right Corvettes or Fox bodies or, mm-hmm. I mean even seeing a you know an SI or an SIR Civic for me was yeah see I, I was younger than that I was like after the whole Honda thing a bit by a bit right okay um, God, one of the guys that I went to school with even had the SRT 10 Viper truck. Oh yeah. And just, those things are cool. It was, you know, it was so bonkers. Yeah. I my high for... school, I got banned from parking there cause I would just do burnouts. <laughs> so I literally, they called the cops and told me I could not, if they saw my car, they were going to call the cops again. So I had oh, to park amazing. down the street. <laughs> what color was your 240? White. Ah, uh, same. No way. Nice. Oh man. Yeah. It was, uh. Um, it was a shame that I got rid of mine. I would love to have just had mine tucked away in the garage. I was the second owner of the car. Was, uh, but you'd just see it rotting away. It would be depressing. Yeah, silly. Yeah, you're right. They rotted away very quickly. Um, okay, so moving into today, uh, what's your daily driver? You know, some people are lucky enough to have a stable of daily drivers. What have you got? Uh, well, we've got uh, a Nissan Titan truck that I drive towing the, the dyno around. Nice. Um, and then my wife's got an Audi A3 e-tron. Uh, oh, no plug-in hybrid so yeah it's a it's a kind of cool car i wish the battery was a bit bigger in it but for around town it's really cool to have kind of an all-electric drive sometimes that's yeah that's super cool you know it, it's um i listened to a bunch of guys from out in california that are that swear by it. they're all crazy automotive enthusiasts and they swear by the e-golf uh-huh. which i imagine shares some commonalities with the e-tron the sort of e-tron. similar the e-golf is a purpose-built electric car yeah whereas the uh a3 is kind of like an afterthought. Okay, right. Because it's still hybrid, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. got a gas motor in it. can't remember how big it is now, but it's primarily a gas car. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to try. You don't really see the e-tron around very often. No. And when you do, it's like you feel a sense of, it's like, hey, 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 man. <laughs> <laughs> we both have these compliance cars that no one wants. Yeah, totally. You're like... <laughs> I mean, it's not the same as the Subaru wave or the Jeep wave, but at the same time, you probably just do a double take as yeah. somebody goes by. Yeah, <laughs> because I don't know if you know this, but the A3 e-tron is the only new body style A3 that you can get in the hatchback. Oh, no so, kidding. Really? Yeah, so if you ever see an A3, the new one, yep. that's a hatchback, it's going to be an e-tron. Guaranteed it's the e-tron. Wow. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, there you go. Okay, so um, did you drive the Titan here today? No, I drove the Audi. Oh, you drove the Audi. Nice. Okay. Uh, it's, I'm, I imagine it's awesome in the snow. 
Actually, it's terrible. It's so bad. Really? I've been thinking about it lately. It's just got no grip at all. No kidding. It's just so heavy. I guess the battery's over the rear axle and it's front wheel drive. So it's just. Oh, okay. So it's not a quattro. No. Oh, interesting. It's really bad. Wow. I would have (laughs) never thought that. Yeah. It's got good snow tires on it too. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, and that makes a huge difference, but I guess not in that case. Yeah. In the in the dry, is it fine? Uh, in the summer, in the dry, it's not bad. Like, it's enjoyable. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Okay. So we're going to move into um, your business. So On Point, On Point Dino. So give us a rundown of what you do at On Point or even better, kind of what On Point is for anybody who's listening who isn't familiar with the business. Yeah. Well, On Point started kind of as a result of uh, me closing SG Motorsport. And okay. realizing that, you know, dyno tuning was really what I enjoyed doing the most. I really enjoyed motorsport electronics. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of the path that we went down. So we do um, everything from engine tuning of road cars, you know, using the stock ECU, like with Cobb for Subarus or EcuTech for the Scion uh, FRS. Okay. Um, all the way up to full, you know, mil spec wiring harnesses and Motec engine control and working with uh, professional race teams around North America. So we, we, uh, we're in a niche market, so we cater to a broad customer base. Yeah. But we try and focus on electronics and tuning of engines. Um, and we also do some consulting. Um, so we'll go out to the track with guys and it's kind of neat when we come out to the track because we're able to help with driving setup of the car and also engine tuning at the same time. Right. So it's kind of like having three guys there with you. Yeah, you get a full um, service. Yeah, so we can kind of really help guys find big gains. No kidding. Well, I mean, and and speaking to that in terms of being able to show up at the track with it, um, that's obviously not something that most dyno tuning um, offers you the ability to do. And in your case, you have a really special set of equipment and it's called the Dynapack, right? Yep, Dynapack, that's right. Yeah, it's a hub dyno. Um, and it's mobile because rather than having big rollers that you have to drive a car onto, yeah, these are basically boxes that are on the outside of the car, mm-hmm. and um, you remove the wheels and install these hubs that basically have lines on them, and those connect to these dyno boxes. We'll call them for simplicity's sake, and they just um, slide right on. So it's a uh, it's a very quick um, and easy to transport dyno, and because it's got a direct connection. There's no chance of tire slip or anything like this. So they're very, very accurate and repeatable dynos. You know, I can see if the engine pulls a little bit of timing out, I can tell you exactly where it happened. It shows it really accurately, which you you can't really see through a tire. Right. And just because, you know, a podcast is not a very um, visual friendly medium, um, when you're talking about um, the spline, like, I mean, we're, we're literally removing the wheels from the vehicle and these, um, and the dyno boxes are, are, are attaching directly to the hubs, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's so cool. I've seen a bunch of the photos and some of your videos, so we'll get to, um, Sasha's Instagram, um, you know, channels later, but, uh, definitely check them out because you've got some cool stuff on there. I think, sorry, I think it was on your, on, um, your Instagram, but also your, uh, YouTube channel. You've got some cool stuff on there that gives you a pretty good idea for it. And now I'm sure there's a lot of misconceptions in terms of, you know, using that equipment now for someone who wanted it, uh, say for me, I used to have, used to have my WRX parked out back. If I wanted to, um, if I wanted to run my car on that um, dyno, um, you know, is that something that's totally out of reach for the kind of average Joe or how could that apply in terms of both um, 
maybe not so much affordability, but um, what it takes um, from a monetary standpoint and then also from a space. Does it, does it require any special space to do that? Uh, it requires a little bit more than the width of a, of a normal bay, but like we wouldn't go and do it in a residential area sort of thing. Right. Um, just for noise reasons. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we tune cars for enthusiasts all the time. Um, generally speaking, though, if we're going to bring the dyno to a specific location, it's usually um, either a shop that has multiple cars or a really big car because it is expensive to bring it out to one location just for one car. Right. Yeah. Um, so usually guys that have kind of bolt on parts or whatever, they'll come to a local shop close to them that we deal with cool. where we're doing another car that day. It's so cool. Um, okay, so, sorry, where was I here? Oh, right, of course, um, you know, tuning. So, I mean, running the dyno is one thing and being able to look at the data is another thing. But then, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in the terminology, but I mean, synthesizing that data and turning it into something that you can now affect the performance of a vehicle with is also really your specialty when it comes to tuning. And being able to turn that information now into something usable, respond, retune, and run it again to see if you're getting more power or more efficiency or whatever your goal is. Um, maybe you can give everybody who's listening a, just like the basic rundown on, you know, tuning in particular, the concept of tuning, out, right. you know, in combination with running this dyno. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I got, for people who have a, a relative idea of dyno tuning, you kind of understand what you're trying to do. You know, you're trying to make the air-fuel ratio correct. You're trying to make the ignition timing as aggressive as you can without blowing the motor up, mm -hmm. you know, and, and those are the basics. Yep. The kind of thing you need to understand about what separates kind of a guy from tuning his car himself or uh, a good tuner from kind of a uh, an, an exceptional tuner, per se, yeah. is how much or how close you can get to perfect in a limited amount of time. So I've had customers come to me and rent the dyno because mm -hmm. they want to tune their own car. But they'll have five hours of dyno rental time because they've maybe done it once or twice before and they're not very proficient. Okay. So you've got a huge amount of time renting the, the equipment and those costs don't really go away. And right. you've ended up with a tune that's not very good. So generally, I think what everyone in our industry has to do is be able to offer a really complete 99% tune in two or three or four hours. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, we I... can't go and be like an OEM and spend three weeks or a month tuning it. Like, no one can afford that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we build techniques and I have pr processes to be able to map an engine and get all of the steady state and all of the idle and all that stuff really, really close in an amount of time where someone can afford it and have good value. Right. So that's kind of the thing you need to understand about tuning. It's not just about being able to do it. It's being able to do it in a, an amount of time that um, you're going to be able to pay for, right? Yeah. Right. So, so if I can tune a car twice as fast as the other guy, then you're going to get a tune that's twice as good because I can spend twice as much time compared to the other guy for the same result. Right. And I and I imagine you know after you've you've started to build up this um, inherent knowledge of all the vehicles that are fairly popular in terms of who is going to come in with what kind of vehicle and and get you know particular types of tunes. Um, so I'm sure you see a, a pattern in terms of the, the typical vehicles that people are tuning. Have you ever had anyone that a vehicle that completely surprised you, someone who wanted to tune their vehicle? Oh yeah. It happens all the time. I mean, cars, and that's why it's nice to have a broad range of cars that you do, because usually once you know a couple of American and Japanese and European cars and you get a, a feel for most, how most OEMs do things, you, you kind of can 
figure things out when you haven't seen something before. Um, you know, there's there's only so many ways you can program an ECU. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly sometimes, I mean, I've seen some American logic that's just, you're like, okay, so this is just a group of six-year-old engineers that are just having some intellectual <laughs> masturbation here. And, you no know, kidding. They just, you know, it's just ridiculous. That's wild. I mean, I've always heard, I don't know if it's hearsay, but um, the BMWs are notoriously difficult to um, tap into that ECU. Is that um, still the case? Yeah, we don't do too much of the European stuff just because... Um, to, to be able to get the definitions for those ECUs and to be able to know the the tables comprehensively, mm-hmm. um, it's difficult and expensive. You'd have to be tuning. You have to really specialize in one specific brand or even model of car Yeah. Um, to really make that make sense. Yeah. And now, um, you know, we talked about it quickly before, but um, in terms of, I mean, you know, I guess two questions in terms of what results you could expect to get from tuning a car with, you know, with OnPoint. But then also, you know, we said, I, I said originally who should and who shouldn't tune a car and mm-hmm. you had a really good response to that, which was more along the lines of, you know, when people come and they're unprepared, kind of the consequences or the difficulties that that brings up. Yeah. I mean, you, you can definitely try and tune your own car. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You just have to bear in mind that there's some educational costs there. And if you want to have the dyno for two days, it's going to cost you more than to have a professional tune your car. Right. So if you want the cheapest option possible, you probably want to pay a professional um, or learn on, a, on the road. Road tuning, you know, is fine also. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, you know. And are, I mean, again, this is this is the the crash course for dummies part that I'm, I'm um, elaborating on because I really don't understand. I understand the very basics of it. And I know in the Subaru world, the Cobb access port is kind of the you know, mm-hmm. the most accessible entry point into tuning. And there's a lot of kind of off the shelf maps, depending on the very, you know, broad range of what you could or, or what you do or do not have installed on your car. Um, the most familiar with a, and I'm sure you get really frustrated with the definitions of staging. Oh with yeah. Your cars and, you know, there's a stage one tune and a stage two mm-hmm. tune. And, um, you know, the, the going kind of understanding that I had when you get to, those certain stages are um, a different um, a different collection of parts, um, typically bolt-ons until you get to a bit more of a complex build. Now, you know, if somebody wanted to do that and they go, well, you know, why wouldn't I just do a, an off-the-shelf stage one tune mm-hmm. from with this Cobb access port on my car? I'm sure there are some risks that you would run, um, you know, just assuming a lot with your vehicle and even I'm sure things like elevation and air pressure probably have an effect that's different here than the same person using it in Southern California. Yeah, the, the main one for us would be the, the cold winters. Yeah. So for example, a stage two car um, <clears throat> will have terrible boost creep here in the winter. Um, you know, if you put an intake and a downpipe on a Subaru here and you drive it in cold weather like we have today, the car will just boost out of control even with the with no duty to the wastegate. It's just mechanically. So no kidding. Yeah. So definitely tuning specifically to your car allows you to get the optimized performance for that car. Mm-hmm. Um, every sensor, even mass produced will have some variance to it. So when any company makes an off the shelf map, it has to be conservative because you can have a car that stacks up and has the mass airflow sensor that reads lean is a little bit more knock prone. The guy puts not the best fuel in 
and all of a sudden you've got blown engines and, and Cobb did have that problem. They they were making base maps that were a bit too aggressive. Oh wow. And and you that. had a lot of ringland failures and, and Cobb has since kind oh, of right. taken the ring ringland failure yeah, with Subaru is exactly. notorious. I mean, I've, we've had customers' cars where all the parts are identical and the amount of timing or the aggressiveness of the tune is way different just because of the health of the engine. So it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's not even just the parts sometimes. The engine can have be burning oil. It can have some reasons why it's not safe. And it's nice to find out and have the tune kind of be pulled back rather than blow the motor up when, you know, maybe you're not looking to build a motor just yet. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, the way you're describing it too, I kind of, I'm trying to pull an analogy together for it. And it seems more like you, know, you, you can go and buy a suit off the shelf and it'll probably fit you relatively well, but it's not really going to be mm-hmm. perfect for you um, and actually suit your you know general needs instead of having a bespoke suit made for you. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's like that. Um, except I, I would say that works with kind of the common stages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But once you get to a point when um, you're modifying the car outside of that realm or especially with a, you know, an older car where you're putting turbos and injectors, all that stuff. I mean, it's basically like you're not even a human anymore. Like you're buying a suit for, for a dog. Like they <laughs> yeah. can't buy an off-the-shelf gotcha. suit anymore. It's too different. It yeah. won't work at all. Or some sort of hybrid that's never really existed before right. and you're kind of breaking ground on it. Yeah. yeah. I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, okay. So in terms of um, some of your project and customer builds, um, you know, what's been the most gratifying that you've worked on so far? Well, we, you know, in my past with racing, um, we've built a number of race cars. It's not something that we do anymore mm-hmm. um, that much. Um. But I think it was really gratifying when we built three Hyundai Genesis coupes for the Canadian Touring Car Championship. Um, we had to convert them from V6s to two liter turbos. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. So we we kind of swapped them over that one year. Um, the cars were really successful. We won a championship. Um, that was the Canadian Touring Car Championship? Yeah. And that oh, was kind of cool because that car, they had tried to race that car for a year before, not very successfully. Um, it was Hyundai's first go at a rear wheel drive car. So it had a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. It was difficult to make it, you know, we were competing against BMWs that had raced in world challenge that were, you know, perfect. Fully from sorted. A chassis. Yeah. And great naturally aspirated responsive. So it was really difficult. Um, we were racing against some really good drivers that had raced in, you know, Rolex in the States and stuff. So like mm. it wasn't a, it wasn't a joke. Um, so to be so successful with that car um, and for it to have the reliability that it had considering it was, yeah, that was wow. probably our highlight. Who backed, who backed that, that race team? Um, so it was sponsored by Castrol okay. and Continental Tire. Yep. Um, and the owner was a Hyundai dealer. Okay. Yeah. No kidding. A Hyundai dealer out of Canada. In Brampton. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, does he or she still run a race team? Uh, Bob's, yeah, he still runs in Canadian Touring Car. Um, still those same cars, actually. No way. Mm-hmm. Wow, the legacy continues. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, uh, you know, I asked the most unexpected build, but I kind of just want to know more about uh, one of the projects that you're working on a ton right now, which is your Tesla-powered Lotus Avora. Yes, yeah. So tell us all about that, because I, I saw the video. I've seen many videos of it. It totally blew my mind. I can't imagine that there are many other people out there doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, dive into it. Let us let us know everything you can about it. 
Oh man, well the the idea to build an electric car kind of came just from a little bit of more awareness kind of of the condition of the planet. Mm-hmm. And kind of feeling feeling an obligation to kind of do something. I mean, my profession is basically burning gasoline and destroying the earth. So Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. Um I've started to feel a bit guilty about that. Mm-hmm. Um and it's kind of a the more you know, the worse you feel type of situation. You start reading more about it. Um, you start realizing that the problem is everywhere. It's not just with one specific area of the, mm-hmm. the earth. So I said, okay, well, electric cars are sort of on the up and coming, but most electric cars, especially any electric car that you can buy is boring. I mean, a Tesla is amazingly fast in a straight line, but it's, let's face it, it's a big sedan. Mm-hmm. Like it is not something that you're going to want to go out and rip corners with. Um, So I thought the Lotus Evora would be a great platform because it's mid-engine, super awesome chassis, aluminum frame, you know, all the bodywork can come off of it. So you can strip it down to the bare shell and really get in there um, a lot easier than a unibody. Yeah. So I just impulse bought a Tesla motor on eBay one day. No, off eBay. Crazy. On eBay from a used wrecked Tesla, whatever. Um, Then we bought Chevy Volt batteries just from carpart.com. Okay. Went to the States and picked them up. Uh, At this point, we had no conceivable understanding of how to make the motor work. We (laughs) didn't know. I didn't know anything about programming or electric vehicles or motors or anything. No shit. My knowledge was zero. That's crazy. Yeah. What a leap of faith. Yeah. I was just like, well, you know, other, I just knew other people had done it, not make a Tesla motor work, but I knew other people had made, done EVs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt like if I thought about it too much, I probably wouldn't do it. So I just said, I just got to start buying stuff and going. It's mine now. I made the commitment. Yeah. So we bought the, or I bought the Lotus. Um, We started doing all of the like, can sniffing so that we could figure out what messages we need to send the, the chassis so that the stability control and ABS and all that stuff would continue to work. Mm-hmm. So we spent a bunch of time doing that, go, went to the racetrack, kind of got a baseline in of, of the speed of the car. And um, that was November of last year. I okay. Say. And then, yeah, we ripped it apart, pulled the motor out, took the frame out and just started mounting the motor. Um, and at this point it was still on faith that, um, this contact I had met in Switzerland who has who had been able to make a Tesla motor spin on his bench. I, I just kind of said, okay, this guy is going to be my guy. So we would have the, the Motec controller do all of the car control stuff, but as far as controlling the motor and talking to the motor, he was going to be our guy to make it happen. Okay. And yeah, in like February or so, and wait, sorry, is this a guy, is he a, is he a builder, a shop owner? Like what, he, what's his, he owns a company doing, um, electronics. So they do DC, DC converters and chargers. Okay. Um, so he builds, um, power electronics basically okay. root, like super smart guy, you know, um, you know, smart enough to do kind of electronics for OEM components easily. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and you know, he's been a great help to us. We're now at the point with the car where we're using our controller to control the Tesla motor now because he's just like, here, here's how you do it. Wow. Yeah. So we've got a, a pretty cool relationship uh-huh. and the car um, has come a really long way. So we've got um, like the full interiors in it now. Um, 
really nice kind of suede leather cover over the mat batteries um power steering you know things got 500 horsepower oh my uh, god yeah it's been super reliable it does really cool burnouts the cool <laughs> thing about electric cars they don't have well this electric motor doesn't have a gearbox so when you do a burnout in it you don't hit the rev limit on first gear at 60 kilometers an hour it just roasts the tires at 200 kilometers an hour wow so <laughs> of it's course, just right. yeah it just billows smoke um we did a time attack event with the car um, at CSCS. Okay. At, um, at what um, what track? Yeah. So this was at TMP. Okay. But they were running it in reverse for the Sean Blake layout as a tribute to Sean and Blake that had uh, sadly passed away. Okay. Uh, as part of the CanJam team. Yeah. So what they did is they ran the track in reverse and they added um, chicanes down the straightaway. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that kind of was a really good highlight for the Lotus because it allowed us to show the huge benefits of the acceleration, no needing to change gears. So you had guys coming to these chicanes trying to downshift, come out of the chicane, upshift, mm-hmm. downshift again, upshift. And you could really see that it was not working very well for these H-pattern gearbox, right. turbocharged, turbo like lag, oh, all this lag. stuff. It's unsettling the car like crazy yeah. coming through so there. So I'm just going there, left foot braking, getting through the chicane, planting the power down, and it's just instantaneous 500 horsepower, right? Like, you know, right. it doesn't matter yeah. what speed you're at. Right, 100% torque at zero rpm right? mm-hmm. yeah yeah pretty close to it yeah and um i think we, we were third fastest in a street car like on you know full interior street car the only cars that beat us was james houghton's integra and i think i want to say a subaru you know the like one of the one of the can jam subarus so mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like everyone at that point was kind of saying, this car needs to be an unlimited. Why is it in Super Street? And I was like, guys, like this was in street. We entered it in street class, but they wouldn't let us. So <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it, it was a good showing for the car. Um, you know, and, and it, it it's something I'd like to develop further. Uh, yeah, definitely, you know. So you've done, I mean, how much how much track time have you had with that? We went to the drag strip with it once um, in a couple lapping days. Yeah. And a bunch of road driving. That's crazy. Okay, so I mean, I'm so fascinated by the idea of it. So regular ro- regular road driving. Mm-hmm. So it's plated. It's you know yep. you can easily you can drive it no no issues. Can, are you charging it at? Can you charge it at like a a supercharging station if you if you were able? Yeah, to totally. So we one of the things I really was set on with this car was that we needed to have DC fast charging. Yeah, because if you don't have DC fast charging, you can't go anywhere. Right. You know what I mean? Especially with a sports car with a, a small battery, you want to keep it lightweight. You're not going to put a huge 2,000-pound battery in it. Right. So um, all of the Chatamo fast charging stations, which uh, Ontario paid to have put all over the province, the thing charges that. So, you know, Ikea and Tim Hortons and Scotiabanks. So it charges mm-hmm. in about 30 minutes to 80%. Um, That's impressive. Yeah. And then it also has level two charging. So any standard level two charger, you can plug it in at as well. So... That, how long does a, like a level two charge take you if you're kind of, say you've got like 10% left? Yeah. A level two charger is 10 hours. So it's like an overnight type of thing. Wow. I mean, yeah. that fast charger really you, is essential. You really need the fast charger if you're, if you're driving. Yeah. You know, and it, at the track, we didn't have a fast charger available. Oh, right. So what we did to charge the car quickly is we would tow the Lotus with the, my Titan, which is not very good for the environment. <laughs> so it's like regenerative braking. And then use the regen on the motor <laughs> as the, as the charging. 
That's crazy. Yeah, and the regen actually charges it even faster than DC charging. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, so oh, wow. So there you have it. I mean, it's squirrely. Like the, the back of the car is wagging its tail all over the place because it's like trying to lock up the rear tires. So right. it's exciting, but um, it's probably not legal. But that's, yeah, that's right Right now, that's, you know, that's what we've got to do. And I, I think that. it'll be a business model for sure for racetracks to install DC uh, fast chargers. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because, you know, you're going to have guys go on the racetrack and wanting to go out for another session, they're going to need a way to quickly charge their cars. And yeah. Because they have no other option, you can you can charge a premium, unlike a DC fast charger five minutes away from your house, where you'd be like, well, I'll just go home and charge it for way less money. At the racetrack, you kind of, it's like buying a bottle of water. Yeah. You know, you, when, you, when you're at a hockey game and you buy a bottle of water, it's what, six, $6 or something? Yeah, yeah. So I think the same thing will apply. Yeah, that that would totally make sense. Yeah, the business model would easily be able to, yeah. Um, Okay, so now, so road driving, you know, you've got the fast charge. You've got, um, what kind of range on it? Right now, the range isn't great because we've been driving around Trofeos. Oh. Um, I'm going <laughs> to put it on road tires, yep. which don't, like these Trofeos, literally, you put your hand on them just driving down the road and they're hot. <laughs> so you can imagine how much energy it takes. It's basically like having, right. you know, 2,000 watt hair dryers blowing on these tires is effectively the amount of energy you need to heat those tires. Okay. I'd say we'll be at 200 kilometers with uh, normal tires. Yeah. Well, that'll be in health. That's, that sounds extremely reasonable given what everybody else is kind of producing these days. Right. Yeah. Like a Nissan Leaf is, a, I don't know exactly, 120 kilometers or so. Yeah. And then most of the new ones are coming out are, are over 300 kilometers. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. We can put a bigger battery in it, but it's a compromise. Like you're adding 100 pounds, 150 pounds. So, it, it, you know, maybe a little bit bigger would be better, but... Um, for our first go out with this car, I mean, it's really, we've been lucky or fortunate that it's just worked so well. I mean, it's been really cool. Yeah. I mean, everybody's minds must be completely blown when you get out to the track with it. Yeah. I mean, people don't really understand, I guess. They they can't understand why it's so quiet. Most people don't know it's electric. Right. Because, and, I mean, in terms of, I haven't seen the, I've seen like some angles of the car. Uh-huh. But are is it does it look like a stock of I mean a pretty well it's avoir. got wheels and it's got updated bodywork but yeah there's no you know super big green EV written on it anywhere like it's <laughs> yeah. just silver kind of understated so oh that's so awesome yeah you know you're pulling out of a a lot of times we'll be in a parking lot and pulling out and people will give it this weird look kind of like that looks like a supercar but why is it not making any noises right you know and uh, yeah. So people definitely think it's pretty cool, but a lot of people don't know what to make of it. They're kind of like, I don't understand this thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so now, um, I mean, have you had have you had much good you know press and coverage of it? I, I mean, yeah, we, we've done really well with it. The guys at Speed Academy have done some awesome videos. Okay, amazing. I've got to check those out. I, haven't, I didn't find yeah. those. And um, we did one video of it on the dyno where I claimed the torque number, like in passing, I wasn't doing it on purpose. I was talking to my uh, employee, Bryson. I was like, oh, we just made like 5,000 newton meters of torque or 4,000 newton meters of torque. We maxed out the dyno. <laughs> and so shit. the internet went crazy. And all these sites, you know, Car Throttle and Motor Trend and these guys said, oh my God, this thing has infinite torque. And it's like, well, no, you don't understand what axle torque is, but that's fine. Like spread the video around. <laughs> so anyway, there's like a million views or so. Oh, that's all, amazing. All in total, which is cool. Um and I hope that it kind of gives people a feeling like, oh man, maybe electric cars are exciting because we know they can be fast, but can they be exciting? Yeah. And um, the 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 Lotus is for sure exciting. We've got 
rear wheel drive. It's got a torsion differential in it. It's got motorsport traction control. So like it slides around. It like you can get you can get hairy with that car. So I mean a Tesla, you can't even turn off stability control. Right. Yeah. You know, it's a cool car. It goes fast, but like, can you really have fun? But the Lotus, I can assure you, you can really have fun. God, that's fucking that's so cool. I mean, it's it it's really interesting to know that. I mean, given what you had been, you know, you'd kind of perfected and honed your skills on to take such a leap of faith and to go into the EV world and then apply it in such an unorthodox way. I mean, do you, do you know of or have you heard of anyone else doing this with an Avora and a Tesla motor combined? Or have you there's really a broken couple, ground? Yeah, there's a couple guys that have Tesla motors. Kind of, we, were, we all did it at the same time. Like oh, no, cool. okay. when I first started, no one other than one guy in Ottawa ha- had done it with a factory five eight one eight kit car okay yep um but yeah other, other than that there'd been nothing and now i think there might be like a bus like a vw bus in the states and another guy races a cobra kit car with a tesla motor in vancouver oh crazy um, okay yeah and so th- that's pretty much it um no one with a lotus or an evora and i and i think kind of our claim to fame if i will here um is that it's our car is like a really complete interior streetcar like you wouldn't know that it was a conversion i can i can confidently say it's you know it's got this 12 inch color display which i I really think is kind of the the kind of like crown jewel of the car when you get in it you see this like it looks like a tesla like display um it's it's pretty cool you know it starts you just turn the key and it's on there's no split switches you have to flick or any (laughs) procedure you know you just turn it on and press the drive button and you're driving Wow. I mean, I would love to, if you'd have me out wherever you're storing it, you don't have to tell us on air here, but I would love to come and see yeah, it. Yeah, sure. And, it, and it's also going to be at the auto show. Oh, it is Toronto. at the Toronto auto show? Yep. Okay. So, Amazing. I mean, we can't go for a drive, but uh, right. if yeah. you're going to be there, definitely stop by. I will, uh, you know, I'll definitely be there. So, I'll definitely be stopping by Okay, on that. cool. <laughs> um, we'll take you for a drive when the weather turns around. I appreciate that. I would love to do that. <laughs> you know, I've been in one Tesla in my life, um, and it wasn't the uh, P90D. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the you know fast, Ridiculous super one. fast one. Yep. Um, but still a really impressive machine. I really respect what they're doing. And anybody who knows me well enough knows that I've never been a huge supporter of electric cars mm-hmm. until then all of a sudden Tesla entered the scene. And I thought that they did something that I think it was like a breath of fresh air back into the world of electric cars yeah. that kind of prove that like you're saying they're not those weren't necessarily exciting they're fast as hell amazing in a straight line you know beating super Yeah but cars. they're not meant to, like for what they do being an awesome luxury sedan like you know it's they've done an incredible job and I like to give them credit while everyone on you know Wall Street's bashing them like no car companies have come around since the 30s, 20s, whatever it is. I mean, like, do you know how hard it is to start a car company? Yeah, totally. Like, do you know how many parts are in a car? <laughs> it is ridiculously hard, you know? So yeah. the fact that they got a car out like at that level, I'm, um, yeah, I'm pretty impressed by that. Yeah. And I mean, God, we could, we could talk about Elon forever um, because, I, you know, I think that his, as much as he's in the car game, you know, I think really his end game is energy and, you know, seeing his investment in that gigafactory and just mm-hmm. the sheer investment into lithium ion and as a battery and as a technology is impressive because he clearly sees where it's all going. And now, I mean, saying that is the batteries that you're using, you said came from a Chevy Bolt? Volt. Volt. Yeah, the, the hybrid. Volt, right, the sorry. Hybrid, uh... The Volt. 
older okay. car. And so if you're looking at kind of the pace and speed of progression and, and innovation in the battery space, what do you think the next, you know, like what's the next step? Are, do you think they'll, they'll be staying with lithium ion? Is is that just going to continue to get more and more efficient? Or are we seeing something else? I don't different- think so. I'm actually a little bit nervous with how much Elon has put into the the Gigafactory. I mean, I, yeah. maybe they're, I'm sure they're nimble and they can move to a new technology. But I, I, I can't see with how the chemistry of batteries has changed over the years, I can't see it being like, okay, we're just going to stay at this lithium combination of lithium and cobalt and all this stuff. It's going to be continuing to evolve, I'm sure. Um, And one of the really interesting things someone I heard somewhere was, it might've been actually Elon that said this, was like technology doesn't just keep improving like just by time. You know, people have to be working at it and it has to be really smart people working at it really hard to make improvements. And no one has ever worked so hard on batteries as people are working on them right now. And I think that just because battery technology has been relatively stagnant over the last, I mean, if you go back 10 years, from 10 years ago before that, battery technology had been relatively stagnant. And now you Mm -hmm. see it accelerating. And, you know, you're going to, I think you're going to see new technologies for sure coming. I think so too. I think the demand of consumer electronics paired with what we're seeing in the automotive space is just, it's its an inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, we all want smaller, lighter phones. People want cars that can last longer and go further. Do you see any impact on, um, I mean, you're an interesting kind of test bed for cold climate testing too. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that no one has approached you yet from a, you know, from, as a battery manufacturer asking for long-term testing from you guys on another project or something like that, which hopefully that comes to you as well. But um, what kind of impact does does the cold weather have on on batteries to your understanding through what your exploration? Yeah, yeah so um, the way batteries work basically is they want to be like humans. They want to be kept around 20 degrees Celsius. Okay, <laughs> that's you know? an so, interesting So you can kind of point. look at a battery like a human. It wants to be heated when it's cold and it wants to be cooled when it's hot. Um, so... The, the two sides to that are, for range, you have to heat the battery when it's really cold outside, mm-hmm. and you also have to heat the human. Okay. So um, heat takes a lot of energy. We all know that. We heat our homes. You know, We don't know that heating a car takes a lot of energy because typically every gasoline engine we've been used to has so much waste heat that we just get it for free because yeah. otherwise it's just getting dumped into the atmosphere anyway. Right, yeah. So if you want to drive an electric car in the winter and keep your range pretty decent, um, what you need to do is preheat it, which most electric cars can be can heat the cabin while they're still plugged in. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they can condition the battery so they can warm the battery up. So this way, you at least start your drive warm. It takes way more energy and effort to heat that huge mass of coolant um, in the battery system and all of the air and not just the air in the cabin, but also all of the seats and the dash and like everything needs to heat up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So once you do that, it doesn't take much energy to keep it warm. And uh, what I've always done is, well, what I try to do is just use a seat heater. Um, it's super efficient to have direct heating to use an element that heats your body directly rather than heating the air and then having the air get cooled off by the windows and the floor and the roof and then slowly heat you up, that's way less efficient. Okay, that's really good to know. Yeah, so if you use direct heating and you precondition the car, you know, you will have a, a reduction in range of about 20%. Wow, that uh, much, holy but shit. But yeah, if you are just blasting the heat and you don't precondition the car, the like reduction can be even as high as 50% in really, really cold weather, so. Wow, yeah. 
Because what, when you think about it, a car doesn't use that much energy to roll down the, the road. Mm -hmm. All it has to do is overcome its friction and overcome the, the resistance um, of air. So once you say, okay, now I want to add 5,000 watts of heating, it's like, okay, well, that's, yeah, pretty much almost uh, in driving around the city, that's like half of your energy use almost. So, you, you, you know, you use about 10,000 watts to drive down the city. So you add 5,000 watts to that and you see a pretty significant loss of range. Wow, I had no clue it was that significant. Yeah. Fascinating. Holy shit. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, those little heaters you put in your house, right? Those little tiny ones? Yeah. Those things are 2,000 watts and they hardly heat a room. They heat a corner of a room. That's a, well, yeah, another good reference point. And that's an insulated house, not a car that's got thin windows and air blasting through it from the outside. So, <laughs> yeah, super mm -hmm. thin floors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, um, holy shit. I mean, I, I really want to, I, I want to follow the project and see what's happening as you guys move into 2018 as well with this, because again, I don't think anybody else is doing it. Like you said, there's a couple of other projects that are out there. I think you certainly need to be championing yourself in this and making sure everybody knows what's happening because I, I always ask and I always wonder how much of the world of automotive enthusiasm will be, you know, sucked away or sapped out of um, those that are really enthusiastic about it. If we turn into this kind of society that's just banking on, I don't want to blame or point it towards just electric cars because to me, I think it's the the evolution into autonomy and then the use of electric cars and then you've got the autonomous electric and we don't really need drivers anymore cars become an appliance and away we go but this is like this is a bit of a you know a shining point in the corner going no 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 they, they mm -hmm. can be electric don't worry guys like this you can still go and have a lot of fun at a racetrack those are still going to be there for a long time so seeing this is um is really inspiring i'm really happy you guys are doing this yeah i, I mean i think that's kind of why we fit into this space pretty well. You've got a lot of guys that have been doing electric car conversions forever, mm -hmm. but they're kind of preaching to the choir for the most part. I mean, they're mostly in a group of guys that like electric cars. I come from a group of guys that hate electric cars. Yeah, of course. I mean, most of my customers and friends laughed at me when I told them what we were doing. <laughs> you know, a lot of them yeah. kind of would poke fun at me every time. You know, I can't remember the jokes that some of the guys were making, but... You know, um, but in the end, they all went for a ride in it and they're like, damn, like this thing is pretty cool. Like not just because it's hard to build, but like legitimately I would want to own this car. It's fun to drive. Oh, that's awesome. It's, you know, like it's just, it's kind of cool to be sitting there at a red light and everyone around you, you can hear the engines running and the burning fuel and you're just sitting there like, nope, I'm just hanging out, man. I'm not wasting <laughs> any energy right now. And then yeah. you what? get these cool advantages too, like not having a gearbox. It's cool on the racetrack, but on the street, you know, you don't need to downshift three times and then floor it. Like you're just anytime you see a gap, like you're there. It's, it's instant. Like it, it's yeah. just, and everyone I've taken for a ride in the car, it's not like these guys haven't been in fast cars before. You mm -hmm. know, they've all been in six, seven horsepower cars, but they all just are like in a huge grin and can't, and can't, they're in disbelief because it's, it's not the acceleration, but it's the amount of it's the rate that the acceleration builds. How quickly you get to that full power is ridiculous. And on the street, I mean, 
that's really what you feel. You can't floor it for very long in a high power car anyway. So. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. between lights and around corners in town, I mean, realistically, exactly. we all know how much we can actually use power, yeah. which is not so, very right. often or so, very much. So having a super responsive car that gives you a shot like that's pretty fun. So I, right. I do feel good about the fact that we're kind of showing that it can be exciting. Um, and I think that the manufacturers know that too. I mean, they're they're going to bring out fun to drive exciting electric car, sports cars in the future too. So yeah, I think so as well. I like the idea too that, um, without getting into necessarily autonomy, that you know you reduce the amount of inputs that a driver is required to do, and now you're in, especially in this case, without a gearbox, and you've got two pedals instead of three. You're you're really focusing on the on driving, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that that's um, as much as I love the act of you know growing my own gears i know in the back of my mind that i could never make that argument against somebody who didn't have to row their own gears Mm -hmm. and the amount of you know interruption that's happening between and loss of power and just inefficiency of a human in the first place so i i know i have to admit that that is a better way of doing it and and i i've yet to experience it in a really tangible way but i know that this is clearly it in practice yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm on the same boat as you. Like, I miss the sound. I miss the the interaction. The sound is huge for me. Yeah, it's the, so sound, huge, the yeah. sound's a big thing. And I think what we need to do with the Lotus is I think we need to just install a microphone on the motor mm-hmm. and just have some sort of dynamic sound system. So when you're flooring it, okay. it, make, it really amplifies the sound. But when you're cruising down the road, it doesn't amplify the sound because you don't really want to hear that whining all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you'll see a lot of manufacturers inserting like fake sounds yeah I've, I've, I, I don't think i can support that no me either i'm glad you say that <laughs> me either no the whole like sound symposer right and, you know yeah exactly even the bmws like they're actually playing they're other sounds engines, yes. yeah but at so least i feel like if it's the same sound you're just magnifying it i mean that's pretty much what we do with exhaust systems anyways right it, so totally i think i'm okay with that yeah morally I'm, speaking i, I agree <laughs> we, we definitely share the same opinion on that one yeah, because sound is such a huge one that yeah. it, I I miss that so much. I even more so than than you know shifting my own gears. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe we'll do that and see. I mean, motors make pretty cool sounds. So you make them loud enough, I think they might be. Yeah, and I think that we'll, we'll get used to it too. That's the thing is everything new um, typically comes up against a lot of resistance. You see that even in just the aesthetic design of vehicles. I mm-hmm. hate the new you know for sure Corvette or the new M3 or whatever it ends up being. And then three years later, everybody's in love with it and you forget how much you hated it when yeah. you first saw it until the next one comes yeah, out. BMW was really strong with that, right? Yeah. I remember their new cars. It was like, no, yeah, no one's going to like this. No, exactly. I mean, but I, I, like I think that's the case with, um, I think that's the case with the sound. And I, I am going on record here saying that myself and I bet no one would believe that, but I do think I could get used to it and mm-hmm. I think I'll become more and more familiar with it. And I think doing what you're saying is a great thing. I mean, suggesting that, we can amplify it enough that it gives us that more visceral, even though it's not necessarily visceral feeling of of being in the car and understanding the connection to it and the driving experience. I, I, the enthusiasts will, I think, always flock to that as an option, at least. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so here's a question for you then. Um, with all of that in mind, and I mean, clearly investigating a lot down this road that's breaking a lot of new ground and doing a lot of new things, we're seeing so much that's being written and talked about in the automotive industry that the youth, and I, you know, I'm doing air quotes right now, the youth aren't buying cars anymore, aren't interested in driving anymore. 
And now through your lens and through all the people that you deal with and the people that you see and some of your clients or customers or those that are interested in the, in the, um, do you have a name, do you have a name for the, the Lotus, the Tesla powered Lotus? It's called Blue Lightning. Blue Lightning. Okay. So yeah, we should probably call it that so that we don't get, keep giving Lotus credits. Yeah. But yes, anyway, of course. So it's Blue a Lightning. super tacky name that I started. Like, <laughs> I can't remember how old I was. I was probably like 13 or 12 or something like this. And I used to draw cars and said, I'm going to call it Blue Lightning. So that's why it's a super tacky name because I came up with it when I was 12. It has some history. I understand, <laughs> I can, I understand that. Um, so now in all of your dealings with um, this project and all of your other projects, um, I mean, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that youth just aren't interested in cars anymore or aren't becoming involved anymore? It's tough for me because I'm obviously kind of super biased by like everyone I see yeah. is coming to me that's interested in cars. Totally. So I don't know as a percentage how much smaller that market's getting. Mm -hmm. But I don't see a reduction in business. I don't see the majority of my customers getting older. There's yeah, still the same share of young guys coming through the door. Right. That would be the biggest indicator right. is that you're losing customers because the only ones you have are getting older and aren't interested anymore. Yeah, like this whole thing that like youth is only interested in social media and phones and stuff. Like yeah. that's a broken theory because youth... I mean, what do you do when you're young? You want to differentiate yourself. You want to do yeah. something different and to get attention and to impress girls. Like that's what youth is about. <laughs> so, um, you know, that basically the easiest way to do that for a male specifically is to be crazy. So like it's really easy to be crazy in cars and you can do cool stuff and yeah. you can go cool places. The peacock like, feathers. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't see when people say that's going away, I don't see that. Mm -hmm. Um and maybe with the thought of car sharing and, and having the ability to do that, I, I just, I don't see that. I see people wanting to own their own cars as a kind of expression of themselves. Mm -hmm. Car guys I'm talking about. I'm not talking about everyone. Yeah, yeah. But I see car guys wanting to continue to do that, you know. Um, I see them wanting to be able to turn off self-driving features. And I, I see them being able to want to turn off traction control. and. Mm -hmm. You know, if they want to wrap the car around a pole, let them wrap the car around a pole. Right. I think people are going to want to do that. Yeah. And inevitably, insurance will, you know, insert themselves in so many <laughs> ways that when that happens and they see the traction control off, it's like immediately you're paying yeah. more on insurance for yeah. those few moments that you do it. Yeah. I, I don't think as a society we should overprotect ourselves. I think that's a sure way to um, to have people become you know, start to be potentially do dangerous things. Just like if yeah. you bottle something up too long, it, people can explode. Well, I think the same thing can apply here. If you try and control people and keep them too boring, mm -hmm. then you're going to have a problem. Right. Well, and I hope that given all of this and what we've talked about and maybe where we'll go is that those who want autonomous cars and self-driving cars um, or sorry, or self-driving cars and ride sharing that is completely autonomous and self-driving that's great. And I'm, I'm really happy to allow them to go kind of the most simplified kind of as the crow flies direct route to wherever mm -hmm. they want to go and leave all the fun driving roads to us that yeah, none of them are going to be on. I don't see why it has to be one or the other. Yeah. No, you I know? think that we can coexist happily yeah. and uh, sure there, I, I, you know, I would imagine there will be taxes and, you know, levies being put on us if we want to drive cars that do still burn fuel and, mm -hmm. But if not, you know, you're giving all of us, I think, a really exciting option to be able to kind of opt out of that and go, no, 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 it's cool. We're yeah. we're fully electric, too. Yeah, um, and, and we I can still go and have fun. Yeah, I don't fully oppose to gasoline cars. I'm yeah, not saying no, everyone's got to have an electric car. But yep. I think for a road commuter car, 
I mean, right now you don't have a lot of selection, but in, in a couple of years, it won't make any sense to not at least have your daily driver be an electric car. Yeah, I because totally it costs basically nothing to put fuel in it. Yep. Um, you know, you, you get grants from the government, so they're giving you a huge amount of money up front. Yeah, huge amounts. To help cover the additional upfront costs. And then your running costs are nothing because you like what just maintenance? fewer parts. The dealer wants to bring you in all the time for alignments just because they got nothing else to sell you. <laughs> you don't even need those alignments. Just yeah. drive the car. It's so good. It's so good. Okay, Sasha. So listen, um, we're going to start to wrap it up here. But um, what does 2018 look like for On Point in terms of you know big plans, lofty goals? Um, what are you up to? What have you got in mind? Yeah. So obviously, we've got uh, Blue Lightning kind of year two. So yeah. we're gonna, we've refined it now and we're going to do a little bit more development on that. But the main thing I'm excited about is a new um, venture we're starting called Mountain Pass Performance. Okay. And Sorry, gonna, Mountain Pass Performance? Right. Mountain Pass Performance. Okay. And we're going to specialize in um, building uh, components for electric cars. So the, the main kind of goal for us right now is the, the Model 3. Cool. That's going to be a high volume car. Yes. And we want to kind of bring everything that we know from um, the gasoline car world and the motorsport industry. Mm-hmm. To, to this electric car to make it a fun, exciting car to drive. I mean, it's already going to be a great car, mm-hmm. but that's a car that's suited to the masses. Yeah, Just it really like a is. BMW 3 Series. Yep. So we're basically going to try and make it the M3 of the 3 Series. And um, yeah, so I'm excited for that. We've got some, some parts lined up already in production. And um, we're going to head down to California probably in late February, early March and do some testing. Oh, so cool. that's kind of what I'm really excited about. Um, as far as on point dyno, um, we're going to kind of continue to do um, what we've been doing and support our customers and do some racing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're not we didn't pick up a whole bunch of new new cars or anything that this year because we really want to focus on just being proficient at what we already do. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I think. Uh, I mean, that's really exciting, and knowing that that's um, so is that. Um, does that business exist already in terms of kind of what you're planning on offering or can you find it anywhere on any of your sites or anything like that? Uh, It's not, it's not live yet. Everything's still kind of in the works. Cool. But um, yeah, mountain pass performance. If you Google it or Instagram it in a couple months, you will definitely see um, we should be live by then. I mean, I I anticipate we'll be live within, within four. I mean, did I just get the public scoop on this? Uh, No way. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, thank you for, for saving that and sharing it with everyone um, on the show. I mean, it's um, it's really interesting. And I think if uh, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting the kind of back half of the show to go where it did, and I'm really happy that it did. And I'm really happy to hear about what you guys have been up to, because that's super exciting. I think it's something that you re- everyone really needs to stay tuned for in 2018. So I guess with that, um, I'm going to I'm going to cut the episode here. Um, so Sasha, thank you so much for, for hanging out with me tonight and giving me the inside scoop on everything you guys are doing and, uh, mountain pass performance. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks new, for having me. It's the new right. company, the new brand. Yeah, no, you're, and you're welcome back anytime. I'd love to come and see blue lightning. Um, and, um, and I'll definitely be checking you out at the auto show. I mean, I encourage everyone else to make it out to the auto show. Do you know what level you're in at this point? We're going to be in what's called the evolution zone. So it's where they're going to have all the electric cars. Cool. I'm going to be there with the EV society and we're going to be helping people understand why an electric car might be a, a better fit than a gas car for your next right. car. Right. Oh, that's so awesome. That's yeah. so awesome. Okay. So everyone, um, to all those that are listening, please do subscribe, rate, and review the show. It really helps us in the rankings here. Um, 
eventually I'd love to be able to have a little bit of advertising on the show um, and doing all the reviews and rankings really helps me with that. So thank you in advance for it. And also, if you aren't already, do follow us on uh, on for The Bucket Seat on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's all at The Bucket Seat. Or if you want to get in touch with me, just email me at trevor at thebucketseat.ca. So this has been episode 39 of The Bucket Seat Podcast with Sasha Anise. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne. Thank you so much and stay tuned.